0: Break things. Whether you are young or whether you are old, we are prone to breaking things, and our tongue is prone to breaking things as well. Just as any other part of our life is prone to breaking things, our tongue is prone to breaking things. And look at what happens uh, in 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 uh, James chapter three and verse number five. James says to us, "Even so, the tongue is a little member. It's small, right? It's just a small piece of our body." And boasteth great things. What does that mean? Even though it's a small little member of our body, it can do great things, it has great power. Behold how great a matter. Behold what, he's saying, look at what the tongue can do. Look at the big things the tongue can do. Look at the destructive things the tongue can do. Oh, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So last week we saw that our tongue is like a a bit that you put in a horse's mouth, and then we saw that the tongue is like a rudder that steers a ship. This morning we see that our tongue is like a fire. What's the common denominator between these three different pictures James gives us? The bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder that's on a ship, and then the fire that they all start off very, very small. A bit is a very small thing you put in a horse's mouth, and yet it controls the entire body of that beast, that animal. The rudder, in comparison to the ship, is a very small thing, yet that rudder can turn the entire ship around. Even so, our our tongue is like a fire as well. A fire, it starts off with just a, a little spark, right? But with that spark, you can cause a great fire. In California, we're acquainted with forest fires. There's great forest fires almost every year. It's reported that forest fires in California have started from something as simple as a man striking a a hammer against a rock. From that spark, that, that, that hammer hits a rock, starts a forest fire. Or someone Just having a backyard barbecue, maybe a coal falls on the ground it starts a fire. Just that little coal from the backyard barbecue. Some have been started by a tossed cigarette out of a window. From that little spark, you have this whole forest fire. Or as simple as a lawnmower. And the blade hitting a rock and shooting it off and starting a fire from that blade. The difference with the, with the fire is that it starts small but grows quickly. So what's James saying when he says that our tongue is like a fire? And why does he use fire as a picture? Here's why. James is saying that our tongue can impact our life and others' lives in a way that is disproportionate to its size. You see, our, our tongue has a power. And it has an ability that is disproportionate to the size of our tongue. The words we speak, they have a huge power in our lives. Like a simple spark has the ability to ignite into a forest fire. So are words, which seem so inconsequential, right? They seem so small. You've heard the phrase, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth because words do have great power. And James, Scripture is telling us that it does. So like a simple spark which seems so inconsequential, so small, yet it has the ability to ignite into something that can cause great destruction and harm. We all know this is true. With words, Hitler was able to sway a nation and launch the world into war, wasn't he? See, it's estimated that for every word, in every word in Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, 125 lives were lost in World War II, for every word in that book. See, our words may not cause, our words may not cause wrecks or wars, but they can break hearts and ruin reputations. See, with one lie, with one lie, years of trust can be broken. One cutting remark can embed itself into someone's memory for years. One cutting remark. One misplaced statement can impact how our spouse or our children see themselves. You see, So so our tongue has all of these destructive abilities, yet on the flip side, our tongue can also impact the people around us for good. One discussion can end a war. One conversation can result in someone someone trusting Christ as Savior. One compliment can encourage a child or a spouse or someone you love to follow a dream. One prayer can change the spiritual trajectory of someone's life. A simple compliment can encourage someone who's hurting. And we see with one prayer, it can make a difference. And again, we come to Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall uh, eat the fruit thereof. See, what we must understand this one simple truth this morning, that our words have power to destroy life or to give life. And James expands on this idea in verse number six. Look at verse number six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. James says in verse number six that our tongue can defile our whole body. What does that word defile mean? That means to stain. So think of it this way. If I was to stand up here and I had something in my teeth this morning, or if I had a stain like right here from spaghetti sauce or whatever. Now, if it just covered just a small portion of my shirt, right, just a small portion, just a little stain, just a little piece of spinach or chocolate donut, more like it, just a little piece of donut in my, in my teeth, would you guys be focused on what I'm saying, or would you guys be focused on that stain or on that piece of chocolate? Well, of course, you'd be focused on that piece of chocolate. Of course, some of you guys, you'd be trying your hardest to, to listen and pay attention, but you'd be focused on that stain. Every time you look at me, you'd be like, you'd be looking at that stain, and you would just, it would bug you the entire service, right? You'd look at that stain and be like, I can't believe, how could his wife not let him come up here with that stain? What is he so stupid? I mean, what is this guy? I knew he had all these problems, and you think of, thinking of stuff about me. Because that one little stain, even though I'm wearing everything else that has no stains on it, that one little stain, it just, it, it taints the whole thing, right? James is saying when our tongue can defile our whole body, it says it can stain our whole body. You notice how James is saying here that you can do all the things right. You can have, you can be kind. You can be generous. You can be a thankful person. You can be a grateful person. You can be a person that loves Jesus Christ. But he's saying if you cannot control your tongue, if your words are out of control, it stains everything about you. That's all people will see. That's all people will think about because our, our tongue has a disproportionate amount of power in our lives. You see, this is what James is, our tongue can taint in otherwise good reputation. You see, you ever saw someone, they had a great reputation, but there was that one thing about them that it just it irritated you. It, it ruins their whole reputation. That's what the tongue does. An individual may be intelligent, sensitive, generous, you fill in the blank, but if their tongue has no control, it stains their entire reputation or that entire relationship or that entire workplace or that entire church. You see, what's the point? Our tongue has a power that is disproportionate to its size, and it has an ability to out, to radically influence our perception of people, relationships, and groups. It controls our perception. So, not to put a fine point on it, but James tells us what kind of uh, what, what what our tongue is like in James chapter three, verse number six. And look at the end of that that verse. And I suppose this is putting a fine point on it. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body. Now watch this. And setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Whoa, whoa, strong words, right? Set on fire of hell. James is saying that our tongue is often set on fire. What does that mean? James is saying that a destructive tongue, a cutting tongue, a hurtful tongue, are like the fires of hell. Well, you notice one thing that's interesting if you study this. This word here, that word hell, means Gehenna. Well, what does Gehenna mean? Gehenna was actually a place. It was a place outside of Jerusalem. It was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And it's scholars and historians believe that this place called Gehenna, which actually means hell, it was a place where people would go outside of the city, they'd take their trash, and they would dump their trash into this big pit called Gehenna, this place called Gehenna and they would they would throw their their trash in there this is the, the local dump right this is a city dump and they would they would light all of that garbage on fire to burn it down to, to, to burn away all the bacteria and all the germs so they would burn it and so people knew when James was saying it's set on fire of hell it's literally set on fire of Gehenna they knew that they were in their mind they thought of oh Gehenna that's the city dump that's always on fire because there's always garbage being burned. So James is saying, when our tongue is out of control and it's destructive and our words are hurting people, it's literally like a garbage dump. You can tell James is a subtle guy, right? This is what he's saying. That's He's saying that our tongue has this power to be a very uh, destructive thing. It's saying that improperly used tongue was as disgusting as the local dump. You can tell this. So the question is, what do we do about the destructive nature of our tongue? Knowing all of that bad stuff about our tongue, what do we do about the destructive nature about our tongue? Look at Proverbs chapter 10. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. In the multitude of words, you're going to find sin. You're going to find hurtful words. You're going to find a derogatory words. You're going to find words that bring down and break down and hurt. But he that refraineth his lips from speaking is wise. Look again at Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, he studies before he says anything. But the mouth of the wicked, Poureth out evil things. He just pours it out. So in Proverbs chapter seven, you see the multitude of words, in there wanteth not sin. Proverbs chapter fifteen, the wicked poureth out evil things. The writer of Proverbs is saying that there needs to be restraint on the words we say. We need to regulate our tongue. We need to control our tongue. So I put it to you guys this way. I brought something with me to illustrate the point. This is our, this is what we use to drink water at our at our home. How many of you guys know what this is? This is this is a brittle water filter. So this is how we get clean water, if you don't trust the water from your tap. So inside this contraption, obviously, there is a, don't worry, I'm going to change this out. I'm not actually going to go home and drink this. So there's a water filter, right? And you take this water filter out. What does this do? So you pour the water in from your sink, and as it's going through this water filter, it filters out all of the bad stuff, whatever that stuff is. Filters out the, the, the bacteria, the gunk, maybe minerals that shouldn't be in there, maybe any, you know, whatever. This filters out. So at the bottom end, when it's all done filtering, you have nice, clean, fresh water to drink. It filters it out. We all probably do this in some way or another. We filter things. James is saying we need to filter what we say. There are some things that should be left out. There are some things that shouldn't be said. There's some things that, that, that hurt. There's some words that don't need to be spoken. So what do we filter out in our life? What kind of words do we filter out? That's the question. If we need to filter our words, what doesn't get to go through? What needs to be filtered out? What can't stay? And he tells us in uh, Proverbs chapter 12. This is the first one if you're taking notes. Uh, there is Proverbs chapter 12 verse number 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. You know what this is? Criticism. The piercings of a sword. We can use our words like little daggers, like little darts, like little, like little, uh, little knives where we can cut people with our words. We can stab people with our words. Filter criticism out of your vocabulary. That's what, that's the first thing that needs to be filtered out of our vocabulary is criticism. Filter criticism out of your vocabulary. Just don't go there. Filter out words that criticize and cut people down and uh, stick people and, and hurt people. I'm not talking about the kind of criticism that seeks to help someone. I'm talking about the kind of criticism that hurts and cuts someone else simply to make yourself look good or to help win an argument. Filter criticism out of your life and out of your words. So I heard the story of two taxidermists who were uh, looking at a window with an owl inside the window, a stuffed owl, they thought. And I don't know if you guys know what taxidermists are. Those are the people that stuff uh, deer heads. You know, have you've been to a place, you've been to Dick's Sporting Goods, or uh, you've been to Bass Pro Shops, and you've seen uh, stuffed bears, you've seen stuffed elk. That's what these guys do, taxidermists. So there was two taxidermists who stopped before a window in which an owl was on display. And they immediately began to criticize the way it was mounted. Its eyes were not natural. Its wings were not in proportion with its head. Its feathers were not neatly arranged. They thought its feet could be its feet could be improved. When they had finally finished with their criticism, they looked at the owl. The owl turned his head and winked at them. It was a real owl all along. You know what that is? That's criticism. It's so and it's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to criticize and cut people down with our tongue, but we need to filter criticism out of our words. Instead of criticizing, appreciate. Instead of cutting someone down, build them up. Edify them, as the Bible talks about. So I met this one particular couple years ago, and they came to a a church service, and I had seen them, and they said, hey, can we talk to you after the service? I said, okay, let's talk after the service. And so after the service, we started talking with this particular couple, and they said to me and my wife, hey, we're having problems in our marriage, and we need help. We're about to uh, we're about to split up we're about to get a divorce can you help us we said okay yes we felt bad for this couple didn't even know that we said yes we will help you we'll meet at your guys' house uh, every week and uh, we will we will help you guys get through this bring your marriage back together one of the first things that they needed to do as a couple was to retrain themselves retrain themselves how to interact with each other because all they were saying to each other were, were criticizing remarks, nagging remarks, picking at each other, hurting each other, sticking the dagger in each other with their words. They needed to completely retrain how they interacted with each other and how they spoke to each other. That was the first thing we had to help them with. And we gave them homework the first week and we said, this is your homework for the very first week that we're going to be uh, meeting with you guys. The first week of homework is you can't say one critical remark the entire week. Even if you think that critical remark is uh, legitimate. Very from the very get-go, this is what we want you to do. We want you to retrain fundamentally how you interact with each other with your words. You see, when you remove criticism, you create the space necessary for growth. When you remove criticism, you you create the space necessary for openness, for honesty, for intimacy, for growth in a relationship, at a workplace, at a church, at wherever uh, you need it. You see, criticism is something we need to filter out of our life, filter out of our word, filter out of our tongue. We need to decide this morning we're just not going to go there. Whenever we feel like criticizing, we're going to leave that criticism out, and we're going to replace it with appreciation. We're going to replace it with gratitude. We're going to replace it with thankfulness. What's the second thing? Proverbs chapter, 18 the words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down to the innermost parts of the belly what does that word talebearer mean it means gossip someone who gossips someone literally who bears tales someone who's telling tales all the time that's someone who gossips filter gossip out of your vocabulary that's what the word talebearer means those who tell uh, uh, who bear tales you see a toxic tongue leads to toxic relationships So if you ever have a yard and it has tons of weeds growing in the yard, what do you do? You go to the store, you go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's, and you get some Roundup. You get some weed killer, and you go home, you get that Roundup, you get that weed killer, and you spray those weeds so they'll die. But what happens? You don't see that those toxic chemicals kill that weed or those weeds instantly, right? No, 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 It takes time. It takes a couple days, maybe a couple weeks, so that you go back a couple days later and you see that the, uh, eventually those weeds start to die off. They start to brown. They start to die as you want them to, but it takes time. You see, when you spray those weeds initially, nothing happens. The chemicals and the, the toxic nature of those chemicals need to sink in, and while it's sinking in and destroying it underneath, you can't see that. You see, that's what gossip is. Gossip is a, a toxic chemical, something that's toxic that, that we speak, and it, and it hurts people behind their back, and you don't see the results for some time. It's something that's that, uh, that hides itself. You see, where no wood is, the Bible says, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceases. If you want the fire to go out, you don't put any more wood in the fire. If you want the, the, uh, the, the strife to cease in your life, don't give it any more fodder. Don't give it any more gossip. Gossip is toxic. It breaks down our friendships. It breaks down our families and our churches. The thing, and the thing about gossip, like a toxic chemical, it happens out of sight. It happens. It, it takes effect over a period of time. Gossip can destroy churches from the inside out. Proverbs tells us that like a fire that is dying from a lack of wood, strife ceases when there is a lack of gossip. Do you want to get rid of drama? Do you want to get rid of all the drama? Refuse to talk about people behind their back. Even if you think they deserve it, okay. Even if you really can't help yourself. Refuse to talk about people behind their back. This is how you get rid of drama. uh, So what do we filter out? We filter out criticism. We filter out gossip. What's next? What else do we filter out of our life? Filter out complaining, Filter out complaints. You see, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 14, this is a verse we could all probably memorize in a day. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do all things without murmurings. Filter grumbling and complaining out of your vocabulary. It's so easy to think about and talk about the things you don't like. But that's not what God wants for your life. You see, why? Because when we complain about a thing, it blinds us to the good in that thing. You see, when I complain about my spouse, it blinds me to the good in my spouse. When I complain about my church, it blinds me to the good in the church. When I complain about something, it blinds me to the good in that thing. When I start complaining about my car, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to start not appreciating my car. It blinds me to the fact that I have a running car start When I start complaining about my children, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start seeing all the bad in there. It blinds you to the good in the things. See, that's why we're, we need to choose to overlook the things that are bad. I'm not saying let those things go, but he's saying get criticism, get complaining out of your life. Filter that out of your life. See, I was talking to a, uh, I had, a, I had a, f- a friend who was a, a lady and uh, she was about to get married and uh, we knew her for a while and and uh, I was so excited for the couple that was about to get married and uh, but she was kind of a, a negative Nancy. How many of you guys ever met a negative Nancy before? I see some of you guys looking at your your spouse when you say negative Nancy. Don't don't, don't do that. Okay, we're at church. Be nice. So I she was kind of a negative Nancy. But I thought after she got married, man, she's going to be happy. They're going to be a happy couple. This is they're going to it's going to be a whole new chapter in their life. It's going to be great, right? Even though she's kind of a negative Nancy, it's going to be fine. So I'm at church, and it's a couple days after they're married, and they come to church after they get married, because when you get married, you make church a priority, right? How many of you guys with me on that? Yeah, amen. All right, yeah, someone in the back saying it. All right, anyway, she's coming to church after she got married, and I see her walking up to come into the through the doors of the church, and I'm so excited for her. She just got married. I'm sure she's happy. I say, hey, how are you doing? How how is everything? And I say, man, this is so exciting. This is your first Sunday at church, and you're married. How's the married life? She'd been married for like three days. She looks at me. She says, you know what? Marriage is work. That's the first thing she says out of her mouth. And granted, marriage is work, but that's not really the first thing you say when someone asks you three days after you get married, right? Marriage is work, man. You know what God wants for us? He wants something better for you than to live like that. You know what You know what complaining does? It gets rid of that mindset. It's something we do externally that changes us internally. Getting that, getting that complaining out of our life. You don't have to live with that mindset. You know what complaining does? It makes you miserable. It makes you unhappy. It makes you unappreciative. When we see our life for what it is, a gift from God, it will create gratitude. And that gratitude will create contentment. You see, when we see our life as a gift, When we see everything in our life as a gift. You see, your home is a gift. Your vehicle is a gift from God. Your children are a gift from God. Your parents are a gift from God. Your church is a gift from God. Your vehicle is a gift from God. Everybody in your life is a gift from God. Your job is a gift from God. Everything you own is a gift from God. Yes, the TV, the things you have at home, what you have, what you wish to have, the vacation you just went on, that's a gift from God. When we see everything in our life as a gift from God, it creates gratitude, and that gratitude creates contentment. And when that is in our life, you live so much better than when you're constantly complaining and you know what happens also when when you when you when you stop complaining people want to be around you you ever notice that someone who's always complaining people don't want to be around them you're saying james is saying james is saying to us this morning god has something better for your life just quit filter complaining out of your life and what's going to come out of your life is going to be fresh and it's going to be clean it's going to be pure You see, that's what, that's what, that's what James, that's what God wants for us. What's the, what's the, what's the next thing? It's our temper. James chapter 1, verse number 19. I might be hitting home for some of you guys. Your temper, temper. James chapter 1, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. What does that mean? Swift to hear. It means be quick to listen. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. That's self, self self-explanatory. Be slow to speak. Slow to wrath. What does that mean? Slow to get angry. Be quick to hear. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Scripture commands us to be quick to listen. Slow to uh, speak and slow to anger. Filter out words that are driven by your temper. When you you can tell that what's going to come out of your mouth is driven by your temper, filter that out. Whatever's driven by your temper, don't speak while your temper is flaring. You know what you do if spaghetti sauce on your stove is starting to boil? We all do the same thing. In shock, we say, ah, ah, it's starting to boil, and starting to make a mess everywhere. Or maybe the bacon, you're making bacon in the morning, the bacon's starting to sizzle and starting to pop, and there's grease getting everywhere, you're like, ah, what do you do? You get the lid and you put the lid on it so it doesn't spill out anymore. So the spaghetti sauce doesn't get all over you. So the bacon grease doesn't get all over your kitchen. You put the lid on it, that way nothing can get out. You know what James is saying here? Do the same thing with your temper. When you feel your temper flaring up, starting to boil, put a lid on it. Just be slow to speak. Just, just, just to be blunt, just shut up, okay? (laughs) Are you guys with me here this morning? Just don't say anything. Just be, just filter that out of your words. See, there is a link between our temper and our tongue. There's a link between our temper and our tongue. You see, James says to be slow to anger and quick to listen. When we are speaking in anger, it's an indication that we are being emotionally driven rather than spirit driven. When We are uh, responding in our temper. We are emotionally driven rather than spirit driven. You want to save yourself lots of regrets and apologies. Allow the spirit to guide your conversations, not your temper. Ultimately, we need strength from God to tame our tongue. Look at verses number 7 and 8. And this is the best part. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, uncontrollable evil, full of deadly poison. What's James saying here? He's saying that every kind of uh, beast, every kind of bird, every kind of animal, you can tame. You can just about tame any kind of animal. You think of the biggest animal, an elephant, you can tame an elephant you can tame, and if you watch Jurassic Park, you can tame even velociraptors. Okay, you can tame all kinds of animals. But what's he saying? The one thing you can't tame is your tongue. You can't tame your tongue. So what do we do? If you can't tame your tongue, what's the what's the solution? We can assess the problems and isolate. We, we can we can we can figure out what speech should be filtered out of our life we can figure out okay i shouldn't criticize i should compl- I, sh- I shouldn't complain i shouldn't gossip i shouldn't speak while i have my temper but how do i how do i actually get the strength to do all of that how do, where is the strength so that i cannot complain keep from criticizing keep from gossiping jesus if you want to change your ch- your tongue change your heart and the only person who can change your heart is jesus he is our strength You see, he's the one who can give you the strength to tame your tongue. He is the one who can give you the strength to keep from complaining, keep from your temper flaring, keep from gossiping, keep from criticizing, keep from hurting people with your words. He is the one we need this morning. Jesus, he is our example. Jesus didn't use his tongue to criticize, to gossip, or to complain. He saw the hearts and the innermost thoughts of people, and still he didn't use his tongue to berate people, to complain about them. The person who had all the right to complain because he saw all the dirtiness, all the brokenness, all the sin in our own heart. He is the only one who had the right to complain, and yet he didn't. He did the exact opposite. He built us up. When he spoke, it was to help people. When he spoke, it was to heal. When he spoke, it was to love. When he spoke, Jesus healed people. He didn't gossip. He didn't respond in kind. He didn't complain. He did the exact opposite. Opposite of that with his words. He spoke life to people. He, he spoke forgiveness to those who needed it. He spoke forgiveness to those who were nailing him to the cross. He chose not to respond to those who were mocking him. He didn't speak condemnation to people when they had broken God's laws. He spoke forgiveness. With his words, Jesus gave hope to people. He gave hope to the world. We can change our speech and filter our words only when it is coupled with an active, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know where you get the power to tame your tongue? Jesus. You want to know what's going to help you tame your tongue when people are irritating you? This book right here. You want to know what's going to help you get rid of the complaining and the criticism? Prayer. Memorizing his word. Being close to Jesus is how we receive the strength to tame our tongue. That's the answer. You see this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul tells us this. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and, reproaches, and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then am I strong. What's he saying here? When I don't have the strength, Jesus is my strength. When I am weak, Jesus will give me the strength that I need. When it's really hard to filter out the wrong words, go to Jesus. Spend time in prayer. You know, most of the time we can't filter the words, we can't tame our tongue because we don't have a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. If we would get that, if we change our heart, it will change our tongue. If we change what's happening on the inside, it will change what's happening on the outside. You know the thing about fire? At Californians, we can look at we can look at all the fires and say fire's bad, right? Fire destroys, it kills, it burns, it hurts, it cuts. It does all the things that are that are evil, so to speak. But you know what else fire does? It warms, it gives light gives life to people. Fire is also a source of great good. Fire is also a source of life. You know with your tongue you can break down, but you can, also with your tongue you can go to someone who's hurting and you can speak life into that person. Someone who's lost and in darkness, you can speak light to that person. See, that's the choice we have. We can can filter out These things so that at the end of the day, what we have to give to people is pure, it's life-giving, and it's clean. That's why we tame our tongue. That's why we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what we what you have to give with your words is an amazing thing. What God wants to do through your words is to speak life. What God wants to do in your life through your tongue is to help those around you, to speak life into the people at your workplace to lead your children the way they ought to go, to lead your family, to lead your spouse. That's what what God wants to do with your tongue, if we tame our tongue. So the question is this morning, how will you use it?